Lord bless you, everybody. Great to be here in the Full Gospel Center. We just had a private worship time. We uh, are going to hear the word in just a minute here. Uh, so wish we could be together. And, uh, you know, I'm preaching to the worship team, and I'm excited to see people. Uh, can't wait till we can uh, be together again. I'm sure that you're excited about that, too. But I thank God that the church is not a building. His word is alive, and uh, we can still minister to you. And we really care what you're going through here as a pastor at this time. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about people, and we're praying for you here. And I hope the word encourages you. I hope that you're encouraged. Uh, stay tuned for all that's to come. Uh, we are in 1 Kings 17. Last week, I preached the first part of this message out of 1 Kings. I'm going to read you the text in just a minute. Let's just thank God. Uh, for his word and ask the Holy Spirit to bless this time. Father, we thank you for the word. It is life and strength to us in moments like this. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would allow the word to come alive to us, that we would be able to understand it and comprehend it and apply it to our daily living. Father, let us not be hearers only, but let us be doers of the word and encourage your people at this time. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. So here we are, 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 9. It says, Now Elisha the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, surely there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. It happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. And we're going to stop there in part two of this message. Uh, this is a message that the Holy Spirit put on my heart for such a time as this. It's finding God's provision in times of crisis. And truly, uh, you know, no one has been prepared for a pandemic. No one has been prepared for a lockdown. But yet God's provision is there for us in a time of crisis. Now, God's people have always enjoyed the amazing benefits of pr his provision. He's always provided for us. And if you've walked with him for any length of time, you know he takes good care of his children. Last week, we considered how he was so faithful to Israel in the Old Testament, bringing them out of bondage, uh, out of Egypt, using 10 plagues to do it, uh, parting the Red Sea, giving them manna from heaven and water from rocks. He always took care of them, and that should encourage us. We looked at two compound names of God last week here as I recap. Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord provides, and Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord heals. Our God is both provider and healer in this time. Someone say amen. In, second, in uh, Kings here, we're looking at Elijah, and we mentioned that Elijah's dealing with uh, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Now, these two were not friends of the prophets. They were ungodly in every way. You've heard of Batman and Robin, the dynamic duo. These were the demonic duo here. These guys were bad news, and they did not treat the prophets well. And his life was on the line as he prophesied there's going to be no rain. Uh, people who prophesied those things uh, to kings like that, they were at risk. 
So we realize that this is a crisis time for him, and it, it translates to us in these moments. We said there's five things that we must do to find God's provision in crisis. Now, God always provides, but there's some things for us to do so that we can find his provision in crisis. We covered two things last week. The first was this, and these are must-dos. We must be able to hear the voice of the Lord in crisis. Some would say, man, I hope this week you've been spending time in his presence. You've been getting still before him and learning to hear his voice. But you and I need to develop our listening skills when it comes to being children of God. The second thing we said is that we must be willing to embrace change. And all of us, whether we liked it or not, or wanted to or not, we've embraced some changes in the season. And uh, we're finding God's provision as we learn to hear him, as we learn to embrace change. The, the, the prophet had to hear what the Lord spoke to him, and then he had to make a geographical move, and he did that. We pick up this week with a point number three. This is the third must do, and here's what it is. We must understand that it's obedience that gives us access to God's provision. You see, we can't hear the voice of the Lord, but and it's important to hear, and our hearing skills need to be developed, but we've got to do more than just hear. We've actually got to then do what the Lord says to do, amen? It's no good to be hearers only, but we have to be doers of the word. So we hear, and then we mix what we've heard from the Lord with obedience. It says here in verse 5, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Wow, what a great response. Imagine that, hearing God and doing what he says. That's simple, isn't it? All of us can do that. Once we hear, we obey. Verse five continues, for he went and lived by the brook Cherith. So he heard, he made the geographical change. He was obedient and he did what the Lord asked him to do. Now, we talk about the importance of hearing and I hope you're developing that. And now we're bringing up the importance of obedience. You know, one of the most frustrating things for any of us as leaders, as parents, uh, as a pastor, if you have children, you understand this. It's very frustrating when those you're responsible for hear what you say, but then they don't listen. And all of us who have children uh, or were children or have been around children or still act like children understand this. And even if you're married, what? They say it's selective hearing when you're married. When your spouse says something, you pretend you didn't hear it. Uh, we have to hear and then we have to obey what's being said. It's really frustrating when people hear, but they don't listen. And Jesus expressed his frustration with the non-listening crowd. That's what we'll call them. And he did it here in Luke 6, starting in verse 46. Listen to Jesus, what he says here. And I pick up the frustration that he has. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and acts upon them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and it could not shake it, but because it was well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who has built a house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. You see, Jesus is saying, you call me Lord, Lord, you, you, you say the right things, and, and you don't obey me, you don't listen to what I say. It's that frustration of hearing and not listening, of hearing and not obeying. 
Obedience is what allows us to access the provision of God. You say, well, why is it so hard for us to obey the Lord? If we're being honest here, uh, you know, listening to what God says and hearing his voice is one skill that all of us learn to develop. But then sometimes God asks us to do the thing we, we want to do the very least. And here's why it's hard for us to obey the Lord. There's two reasons. Number one, because God doesn't do things the way we do. And you know, we like people and we hang around people and we celebrate people who do things like we do, who like what we like, who think how we think. Come on, isn't that true? And then God comes and he tells us to do something and it's usually the last thing we wanna do. Isaiah 55, eight through nine, God expresses why this is a reality. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The reason God doesn't do things the way we do is because his thoughts and his ways are higher than ours. So when the voice of the Lord comes and he wants us to be obedient, maybe the prophet was like, man, I don't want to move. I don't want to run. I don't want to hide. I don't want to hide myself anywhere. I don't want to go hang out by a brook and, and get fed by ravens. Is there a plan B? And the truth was, there was no plan B. The provision was going to be poured out there. And so he had to be obedient. The second reason it's hard for us to be obedient to the voice of the Lord is this, because everything God asks us to do that is spiritual will be uncomfortable to our flesh. You see, those of us who understand scripture and understand the New Testament themes, the flesh is that part of all of us that wants to do things our way. It wants to do things, and what is it, what is it influenced by? The sinful, fallen nature of man. When God asks us to do something, it will automatically grate against our flesh and make us uncomfortable. You say, well, what do you mean, pastor? No, we're, we're so much more spiritual than that. Um, when he says something, we just embrace it. And listen, when God says, love your enemies, I don't care who you are, that grates against your flesh a little bit. When Jesus says, uh, pray for those who despitefully use you. When he says, you know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Look, those are things that they're spiritual paradigms that would grate against the flesh. What's the remedy for that? We need more, we need more spirit and less flesh. John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. That's it. So understand it is difficult at moments to obey the voice of the Lord, but there's an opportunity for us to stretch and grow there so that we can realize his ways are higher than ours. So you know what, Lord, I don't need my way. I need to do things your way. We can realize that, you know what, uh, there's a flesh part of me that still needs to be crucified every day. And if I don't like it and I know God said it, then I have to look at me, not at him. It's not him that's wrong. It's something in my heart. That's wrong and needs to be adjusted. So whatever God does in his provision for us, you know, in our moments of crisis, we have to look at it. It's exactly what we need at that moment. For Elisha, here was the supernatural provision for him. He had water in a time of drought and he had food in a time of famine. Now, I don't know about you, but if there's no water and someone provides you water, what a blessing that is. If your refrigerator is empty, you know, uh, and food is provided, he had his needs provided. You might say water and drought and food and famine. That's awesome. Yeah, that was the awesome provision of God. But Elijah 
had to go to the place that the Lord directed him. If he went any other place, the ravens were not going to bring it there. The brook was not going to stay running there. See, you got you to get this. This is the obedience thing. We can't do it our way. We can't do what we want. Sometimes we have to hear and obey. And the obedience puts us in the right place at the right time so we can experience God's provision. Elijah uh, went where God directed him and he directed him to a specific place. And if he didn't go to that specific place, he would have missed the provision of God. Now here's two thoughts about that. There is just no substitute for obedience. I want you to hear that. You say, well, is there anything I can do besides be obedient? Can I bring sacrifices? Can I, can I just repent really hard? Can I you know, do most of what God says and, and get half the blessing? There is no substitute for obedience. We are either obedient or we're not. And an illustration that uh, fleshes this out for me is with Arabian horses. Arabian horses, if you know anything about them, some of the most incredible animals on the face of the earth, they go through rigorous training in the deserts of the Middle East. And the trainers there are just as incredible as the horses. They require absolute obedience from a horse before they say it's trained and they test the horse to see if it's learned. The final test that they use on these horses is uh, one that seems to be beyond the endurance of any living thing. The trainers will take the horse and they will get, not give the horse water for many days. And then they'll turn them loose and of course the horse will run straight for the water. As they approach the edge of the water to drink, the trainer will blow a whistle. The horse who comes completely back, stops, doesn't take a drink, but comes back to the trainer, has learned obedience. But the horse that just drinks and disobeys has not learned obedience. You might say, this seems pretty severe. But the thing is, when you're in a scorching desert with no water and you have to trust your life to a horse, you need an obedient horse. There is no substitute for obedience. All of us have to learn it. And I've, I said this last week, it, it's quiet. I know there's only a few of us here, but it's quiet for just a few of us here because you know we understand that obedience can be a hard thing to learn because that flesh part of us wants to do it our way. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Give me an amen. Partial obedience, well, you know, for the people who say, I've done most of what God asked me, or I did some of what God, I did 95% of what I was supposed to. It's still disobedience. I know this is hard, but in moments like this, we need to obey the Lord. We need to hear his voice. We need to uh, embrace change. And then we need to be obedient to what the Lord says. What is the Lord saying to you in these moments? What is he asking you to do? Are you being obedient? Is he asking for repentance? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, right? That repentance thing that all of us need to look inside and say, God, you know, what is it about me that, that needs to change? And when God speaks, that we embrace it. Uh, what is God asking for at this moment? Whatever it is, give him what he's asking for. Don't give him most of it. Give him all of it. The second thing that we're going to cover this week here in, in learning to find God's provision in crisis is this. We must, remember these are must-dos, we must learn to rely on the faithfulness of our God. See, how many would agree that our God's faithful? All of us here, we agree. God is faithful. And the thing is that we have to learn to rely on his faithfulness and not rely on other things. Say other things. 
Other things are where the trouble starts. Verse six says, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. So there's the provision there. The provision was that God moved heaven and earth, that God moved creation. I mean, think about this. This is a supernatural thing. Has a raven ever brought you a meal? No. It's a supernatural thing to have the birds of the air feel. Now, now think about this. He's, he's by the brook, and he's thinking, you know, I know what God said. I, I'm pretty sure I heard it, and here comes a raven, and he's got meat, and he's got bread. I mean, this was the original Uber Eats. Here it comes, you know, raven delivery. It was Grubhub. Here comes the food, and the ravens bring it to him. That's, that's an incredible thing right there. It's a supernatural thing, uh, but it is... You say, well, that's extraordinary. Yeah, but it's just God's faithfulness at work. God will do whatever it takes to be faithful to us, supernatural or natural. He'll do it because he is faithful. Now, we should be so used to uh, hearing God, being obedient to him, and then seeing him pour his provision out that we expect it. Did you hear what I just said? We should get so used to hearing him being obedient, and then watching him provide. We should actually expect that. You know, I was thinking about this as I'm putting this message together. The fact that we get shocked when God keeps his word is almost a little offensive. Think about that. You say, well, I don't think God feels that way. What was Jesus saying to his disciples all the time? He's saying, oh, you of little faith. He said it over and over. How long have you been with me, you know, that you don't trust me? Peter, just be quiet. Always correcting them, chastising them. He said, why did you not believe? What is that all about there? It's about his disciples were shocked when he did the things he said. You, 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 you were serious about that rising from the grave thing? You were serious about that empty tomb thing? You were serious about they were, they're going to kill you? Peter already said, we're not doing that, Lord. Come on. Jesus was constantly correcting them for their lack of faith, that they didn't believe what he said. And he said, oh, you of little faith, we have to learn to rely on the faithfulness of God. We should expect, listen, I want to encourage you today. Some of us need to increase our expectation levels on God right now because he's faithful. Come on. And we need to expect him to do some things. Why? Because that's what we want. No, because his word says, if his word says it, if God said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. He's going to be faithful to us. And we've got to raise our expectation levels a little bit. Listen, we should expect God to hear our cries, to answer our prayers and to speak to us at this time. Come on, someone say amen today. We need to expect the Holy Spirit to move every time we come to church. You know, we don't just come in, oh, it's business as usual. Oh, there's not many people here. I don't think there'll be much of an anointing. Listen, where two or three are gathered, that's what the word says. So we expect it today. We need to expect Jesus to reveal himself to us when we seek him with our whole hearts. Not that we're just going to go have a prayer time and, you know, nothing's going to change. No, our expectation needs to be raised up that God would direct our steps. He would give us wisdom. He would calm our fears. He would protect us. He would be Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He'd be Jehovah Jireh, our healer. Come on, church. Our expectation level of God needs to go up in these moments here. Now, unfortunately, many Christians... And, and, and most of our culture has learned to have misplaced 
expectations, to rely on things that are unstable. When we look around in crisis, we see many people who have relied on things that are unstable, and sometimes it's Christians too, and we need to recalibrate, but it's a sad thing when we rely on things that are unstable, because in a time like this, we're reminded that everything in the kingdom of man can shake and collapse in a heartbeat. What a reminder this is for the people of God that the kingdom of man is fragile, but the kingdom of our God is unshakable, unmovable, that God is solid. He's our foundation at times like this. Yet many have learned to rely on unstable things. That's why this point is for us to learn to rely on the faithfulness of God, not on the other things that are unstable. You know, woe to those who put all their trust in man's system. Woe to those who put all their trust in their finances, in their savings, in their 401k, in their good job. Woe to those people. Why? Because at moments like this, we see the the complete instability of those things, that our peace and our comfort and our stability needs to come from something else than our bottom line, our portfolio, our bank account, our retirement fund a time in American history that was dark. It's something that, you know, many of us in this generation maybe heard about in history class, but we don't understand it. Our grandparents did. Uh, It was called Black Tuesday, and it was a dark day in American history. It was marked by the devastating stock market crash of 1929. The markets plummeted, and the banks uh, called in their markers, as it were, and they demanded that people pay back their debts, and that set off a chain of events that created a financial tsunami in this nation, and that day was called Black Tuesday. People lost their jobs. They lost their homes. They lost their life savings. In the blink of an eye, people were devastated with financial ruin. During that day, in the days that followed, even in the years that followed, uh, thousands, not hundreds of people chose suicide rather than to face financial loss. Think about that. That people would leap from a building or jump off a bridge. Why? Because they lost their money or they lost their wealth or they lost their job. They put their hope and trust in the faithfulness of something that was unfaithful instead of trusting in God. Listen, if we lose everything we have and all we have is Jesus, we have more than enough to start over. Amen? Because he's our supply. Let's learn to rely on the faithfulness of God. It's a must-do at this time. I think God is allowing us to be humbled and stripped a little bit so that we can get back to the foundation of who we really trust. And if our trust is in anything else but him, then we need to once again repent and recalibrate our lives so that we don't trust in anything, that we don't put our full weight on anything but on the Lord. Number five, The last must-do we must do to find God's provision in crisis is to remember that no season is permanent. I want you to think about that for a second. No season is permanent. There are a lot of things that I'm saying here today that, you know, uh, we need to chew on these things and meditate on them, but realize the season that we're in now, it's a dark season. It's a stressful season. Uh, That's why we're taking the time to preach the word and encourage people because we realize that the the pressure of this is is a lot for some people. But you and I got to understand this too will pass. This is a temporary condition. Now, let's talk about that. No season is permanent. Verses 7 and 9 here in our text, 
we see even a shift in this situation. He goes to the brook Cherith. He, the, the animals are bringing him his food. He's being provided for. He's learning the faithfulness of God. Yet all of a sudden, things shift. It says here in verse 7, it happened after a while that the brook dried up. Are you kidding me? Did you ever feel like life, is, <laughs> life got hard and then you, you weren't happy with the condition it was and then it all of a sudden got harder? It happened after a while that the brook dried up. Listen, because there was no rain in the land. Well, yeah, there was no rain in the land. Okay, but God, you were providing for me. You were using the brook. Verse eight, and the word of the Lord came to him saying, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and stay there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So everything is in a holding pattern. It's not a comfortable pattern, but it seemingly goes from hard to harder, from bad to worse. And understand, uh, this is a season change for Elijah. Now, in the natural order of creation, the seasons change. Can we agree on that? Even in New York here, I know it seems like winter is forever. Do you know the seasons seem to go like winter, spring, summer, fall? right? It's just like winter seems forever, but you know what? No matter how eternal winter seems in the Northeast, it's always followed by spring, even if spring's a couple days that year. But you know, it's followed by spring. The seasons change. That's the way God created things in the natural. In the spiritual realm, seasons change as well. Seasons are not permanent. Seasons change. And, you know, this season of isolation and social distancing, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of stressful things, but there's some good things attached to it. And, you know, hopefully we'll get to focus on some of those more time with our families, more family meals together, more time to spend in the word. So there's some good things there, but the season change is what I want to direct you towards that, you know, it happened that what? The brook dried up. Now, the enemy of our souls loves to make temporary things seem permanent. I want you to hear that today. What does the enemy do? He wants us to look at a temporary thing and think, well, that's permanent. That's the way it's always going to be. Why does he do that? Number one, because he knows it's not true. But if he can lie to us and trick us to believe it, we're going to, you know, we might be able to, you know, think I can last for this for a while, but I can't do this forever. And that's what he wants to do to get us to become desperate, to take our eyes off of God, and then to make foolish decisions. How does he do that? By making temporary things look permanent. And you know what? Nothing can be further from the truth. Even this situation with the brook and the ravens and them bringing food, that was a temporary thing. It wasn't permanent. Now there's a season change. He, the enemy wants to you know, get us to take our eyes off of God and think that you know, things are going from bad to worse. And, and he wants us to, to abandon our faith so that we'll make foolish decisions. Now, verse 9 shows us what to do uh, when things change and our brook dries up. And that's what I want you to see here. The the brook dried up for him. So that's that's an interesting thing. No more water. Uh, If the ravens stop bringing the food, I mean, your supply has dried up. So it says here in verse nine, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. I've prepared, there's a widow there who's gonna take care of you. So, you know, there's the change here. Now, what we should do in the situation when things change is we go back to the first steps. We then listen for what the word of the Lord is. If God dried up the supply, it's not, you know, that, you know, he quit being faithful. It's that the seasons changed. So now we've got to listen up again. 
We got to listen to what the word of the Lord is. The word of the Lord came to him. And what was it? Arise and go to Zarephath. So he hears, and then what? He's obedient to the next instruction. Are you seeing the pattern as it plays out here? He hears again. The vo- he heard the voice of the Lord go to the brook. He went. He was obedient. There was provision there. Now things dry up, and he hears again the voice of the Lord. And sometimes we got to pray. You say, well, what if God doesn't answer right away? Well, you know, just quit and, and, and just go do. No, if God doesn't answer right away, be still and know that he's God and keep inquiring of the Lord until he speaks. If he doesn't speak right away, he's probably teaching us patience or to trust him. And so we keep inquiring of the Lord, but when he speaks, we hear him. And then the word of the Lord was arise and go. So that's what we do when the season changes. Now, I don't know uh, how things are going to fold out here in our crisis, in our situation, but if things change, we need to hear the word of the Lord and be obedient to what he says. Say amen. Come on, I'm bringing this in for a landing. Here, here's how we should not respond when the brook dries up. Uh, there are three things we shouldn't do. Number one, we should not panic. Hello. You know, it's like, oh my goodness, the brook dried up. There's no more. What am I going to drink? And you know, how am I? And the raven stopped coming and the food wasn't that good, but it was better than being hungry. And think about it here. Uh, you know, there had to be some part of him. Now, when things dry up in our lives, when sources of provision dry up, some people, you know, the job let them go or the streams of money are not coming in or you own your own business, but you're not able to work. So there's no cash flow and things have dried up. What do you do? Don't panic. The faithfulness of God will be displayed in your life. The brook dried up but we're not going to panic. We're going to trust in the Lord. Number two, the second thing we should do is we shouldn't question the faithfulness of God. How many times, you know, when something doesn't go our way or it doesn't go the way we wanted it to, or it seems an inconvenience or we don't understand, or God hasn't spoken yet, there's something inside us that questions the faithfulness of God. Now, I know it's hard for us to admit that because it seems so unspiritual, but the truth is, if we're being honest, the moment the provision dries up or the moment we're confused or the moment that, you know, we don't know where our next whatever is coming from, first we panic and then we think, oh my goodness, has God, you know, is God mad at me? Is he judging me? Did I do something wrong? God, what did I do? And what are we doing? We're we're questioning the faithfulness of God. Now, I understand that's a normal reaction and we shouldn't, you know, necessarily be embarrassed of that, but we can't stay there. You know, there are some people that just have such a negative attitude. You know, well, I knew God wasn't going to come through. I knew he'd do it for everybody else, but not for me. Look, that's not the word of the Lord in your life. That's the, that's the voice of the enemy trying to make you quit on God. And the truth is he's faithful. You say, pastor, do you know where my next stream of provision is coming from? I don't know, but he knows and he's already planned it and he will not drop the ball on you. I guarantee that you can trust him. So don't panic. Don't question the faithfulness of God. And the third way we shouldn't respond is this. We shouldn't give up and give in to fear. You see, when the season changes and there's a little uncertainty again, maybe, you know, it was a difficult season, but we've learned to get comfortable. A few weeks into this quarantine, a few weeks into this crisis, you know, maybe we've gotten into a little routine and we can handle it, but immediately when something goes wrong or it gets a little harder or we run out of something, then what? You know, fear wants to creep right back in. 
And I want to encourage you, don't give up. Well, pastor, I don't know how I'm going to sustain my business. I don't know how I'm going to pay my mortgage. I don't know. Listen, we don't have to know all those things. We just have to know the God who is our our supply. He's Jehovah Jireh. He will supply. So don't give in to fear. Listen, the enemy tries to bring things into our view that will cause us to be fearful so that we'll shrink back and we'll give up. The only way we can be beat is if we give up. Never give up on God. There is a wise preacher who shared an illustration and he gave an insight about fear and he used birds to do it. He said, a wise bird knows that a scarecrow is simply an advertisement announcing that there's something delicious to be eaten. (laughs) There are scarecrows in all of the best gardens. If we're wise, we'll treat the scarecrow as an invitation. Every giant in the way makes us feel like a grasshopper. It's only the scarecrow tries to keep us away from the blessings and the richness of God. Faith is a bird that loves to perch on scarecrows. Ha, what a good thought. Oh, it looks ominous. It looks, you know, it looks bad. It looks like there's no way out. I don't know how God's going to do it. That's the scarecrow. Faith will sit on the scarecrow and go, what is it that that this thing is trying to keep me from? It's got to be the blessing of God. You don't put a scarecrow in a place that has nothing good to eat. You put it in a place where the provision of God is. Don't panic. Don't question the faithfulness of God. Don't give up and give in to fear, but trust the Lord. These are the things we need to do. They're must-dos for us in time of crisis, that we would come to the Lord in our time of crisis, and that we would look at all of these situations, and we learn to hear the voice of the Lord, and then we'd be willing to make changes and embrace the changes. Then we would mix the word of the Lord with our willingness to change with obedience and do what the Lord says to do. And then we would learn to rely on the faithfulness of God. And whatever we're relying on that is not the faithfulness of God, we need to push it aside and not lean our weight on it. And after all that, remember, no season is permanent. This too shall pass. And in the end, God's going to draw us closer to him. We're going to see his miraculous provision in our lives. And we're going to have a testimony of the faithfulness of God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Father, we just thank you today for a word that encourages us. And Lord, I know some of these things are challenging and some of them great against our flesh and some of them are counterintuitive, but it's the word of the Lord. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to it. God, help us to be willing to do the must-dos, all five of them, in a time of crisis so that we can find your provision. God, you were faithful to Elisha. You were always good to him. As we look at the rest of the story, you move him from place to place, but you preserve his life because he belong to you. God, help us to be those who belong to you. And I just want to give you an opportunity today. If you've never had the opportunity to surrender your life to Christ, you say, what made God's provision possible in, the, in Elisha's life? Well, he belonged to God. You say, well, can I belong to God? Absolutely. You and I can belong to God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want to give you that opportunity. You say, well, why would I need that? Jesus came to die as a savior for sinners. You and I are sinners. You say, Pastor Rick, what do you want to tell me about yourself? Maybe you you don't go to church here. You're just watching this now. I'm a sinner saved by grace. 
You say, well, what does that mean? That means I've come to Jesus and he's been the Lord of my life. He's forgiven my sin and he's done it through the work of the cross. You say, how does that happen? You and I just have to confess that Jesus died for us, confess our sin and repent, and that we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ through a personal commitment. I want to lead you in a prayer right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you a sinner and I repent of my sin. I invite you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lead me and guide me. From this moment forward, I belong to you. I believe you died for me and that you rose from the grave. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer right now, the God of heaven and earth has connected with your heart, and you right now are what the Bible calls a new creation. And I encourage you from this moment forward, if you've committed yourself to Christ, just begin to read the word and to seek his face. He's going to begin to speak to you. It's a, it's a monumental change that has changed the trajectory of your life, and I want to encourage you. You can trust him. He'll provide for you. As one of his children, he will take good care of you no matter what occurs. Uh, God bless you. I can't wait for the day that we can come together again. I'm actually excited about what it's going to be like in this place when we're all together here again. I encourage you to keep your enthusiasm level up and to keep your expectation level of God up. Amen. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Go to that giving link as Kelly encouraged and continue to bring your giving to the church so that we can be the hands and feet to the community so we can take care of the things we need to. Uh, God is gonna provide for all of us and we're all gonna have a testimony when this is over. So Lord bless you. Uh, stay on FGC web and look for our encouragements. We'll have more stuff coming out on Wednesday and we got some things cooking, so stay tuned. But be encouraged if you have any needs, contact the church and we're here to serve you. We're gonna do whatever we can to help. God bless you. We love you and looking forward to seeing you soon.